the Lord will give you ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that can understand. That is your prayer. That every word that you know will be come, that pastor will be teaching, that will come out of the mouth of Pastor Banky this evening. Every scripture that the Lord will open your eyes. Of course, we are many here, and the Holy Spirit is interpreting different things to us. So you are praying for yourself that Lord, you will cause me to hear my word. You will cause me to hear my word. Lord, my ears are open. Cause me to hear my word. My, let me see. Let me see. Father, we give you praise. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. Thank you for what you will do. Thank you for your spirit that is already here and for your people that you will bless this evening. Thank you, Lord, for healings that will take place today. Thank you, Lord, for men that will be placed back on the paths of righteousness. Lord, we give you praise forever. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Uh, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you leave, give me an amen. amen. All right, well, let's take our seats in a moment. Before we do that, can we quickly take our declaration of our understanding, which we usually do before we start to study. Are we ready? All right, once we let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It's giving me light and direction. It's healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen? Amen. 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 The word of God will come to you today amen. and will set you at liberty amen. in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray this prayer for you to deliver you from pursuit of things that are vain. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. There are things you are pursuing, you don't know they are vain. Today you will know they are vain. Amen. And like Pastor Kebuti was saying, was it on Tuesday? The people don't know that betting is bad. And I've been believing God that, Lord, as I'm about to bet this week, in the name of Jesus Christ, I claim the spirit of the victor to multiply my 200 naira to 2 million. You're a thief. And you know people don't know. And they are doing it. Today, God will deliver you from, from foolishness in Jesus' name. Amen. God will deliver you from evil and wrong and vain pursuits in the name of Jesus. Amen. There are things people are pursuing hard. After, and Jesus is just looking at them, say, I'm not with you. And they don't know. My special prayer for you today is that today you will know. Amen. Today you'll be delivered from vain pursuits in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me say it again. Today you will be delivered from vain pursuits in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's a day of liberty for you. Amen. It's a day of the release of God's power. Amen. Now, I want anybody listening to this from anywhere, whether you are here physically, you are joining us online. Remember, pay attention. What did I say? Pay attention. Now, what I'm saying so is that every encumbrance in your body in the form of ill health, in the form of faulty organs, in the form of, you know, infirmities, they will melt away today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God is coming forth to set you free. Amen. He sent his word and healed them. And that word delivered them from all their destructions. Amen. That is your word for today. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. 
Or rather, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Let's take our seats. All right, um, let's continue studying the Word of God today. I would like us to start again from the book of um, Philippians, uh, chapter... Uh, where do we start from now? I want to read something that uh, Paul said. Let's start from verse 1 of chapter 3. Paul said, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again to you is no trouble to me, but he said, it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, we're talking about confidence. He said, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I should have far more. Why? Because when it comes to getting to, you know, the righteousness by works, he said, verse 5, I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, that is the extent to which my zeal went, as to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. He said, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Please notice that. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. What am I looking for? Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it, that is what I'm pressing for, or I've already become perfect in this pursuit. Please notice that. That is, there is something that we are looking for every day. He said, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid out of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, that is mature, that's what I was saying, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. 
Let's just stop, finish reading that section. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have already attained. All right, the Lord is good. Now, please, there's something that Paul said here. I just want to quickly read something. If you see what he said, uh, he said that I am, uh, which verse now, I'm, that is, what, why God laid hold of me, verse uh, 12. He said, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Now, if you go and read, quickly flip over to Galatians chapter 1. There's something I want us to read here. Just to connect with this, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, that we just read. Galatians chapter 1, quickly. You see, just read one verse here. Now, why did God lay hold of him? He was talking about something here. Okay, let's just back up a bit from, to verse 13. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But now notice this. But when God, who has set me apart even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Let me, go, I just, let me just stop reading here. What I just want to talk about, why I read that is that, notice that he said that God laid hold of him for a particular reason. And what was that reason? It was that he might reveal his son in him. Now, that word, some translation will say that reveal his son to me. But I think it's deeper than that. I like how New American Standard put it, that the plan of God was to reveal the son in Paul. Not just to reveal the son to Paul, that might be the beginning of it, but the aim is that he will reveal Jesus in somebody. That's always God's aim. The reason why he lays holes or, or lays holes or which one am I using? Lays, lays hold of each one of us is so that he might reveal himself through us. That was the reason why God laid hold of Paul. And Paul understood that. It's, his, it's a revelation of himself through people that's the aim of God in this life. Now, let me explain something here. This is what I've been trying to teach. That's been the theme um, in my heart from the beginning of the year. Now, one major thing which I think um, has been a problem, and you see, let me just say something quickly. It, was, it is a problem, yes, quite all right. But sometimes it doesn't start as a problem. What I'm trying to say is this. is our focus, I don't want to just use the word materialism in Christianity. It goes beyond that. I'm not talking about this issue of um, I need to get a car, I need to get a house, I need to buy land and all of that. Yet those things come and when we focus on them, they are wrong. It's materialism, it's worldliness, okay? But what I'm going to emphasize more is like this. What I said is a bit of a problem, which was not a problem at the beginning. That when you're dealing with children a lot of times, okay, you show them the mundane, the, the simple things of life in trying to explain the gospel to them. If you explain anything, that's just the way life is. So when we began to learn the gospel, there was so much emphasis on what I can get in relating with God the Father. I don't know whether you're getting my point. So, 
the, the, the word of faith was even mocked. They called him, name it and claim it gospel. And really, the truth is that we were taught things like that. Okay? How to get, how to get anything from God. You know, like, if I, some people wrote a serious criticism against somebody like Kenneth Hagin, that Jesus, that he said that Jesus taught him how to write your own ticket with God. And the four things you're supposed to do. You know, to know it, to say it, to say it, those kind of things. Now, there's something about principles. All right? Principles in themselves are not bad. It's how you apply it. That's what differs, that's what separates one person from another. In themselves, principles are not bad. I'll be getting my point. All right? For example, if Jesus comes and says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. You understand? Is it bad? Then you come to the Father and say, Lord, can I have pandediam and okra soup? And the Father gives it to you. It's not a bad thing. Then you come next day. Can you increase the size of the meat? Yesterday's meat was this size. And the father does what? He increases it. After one year, you are still discussing. Every time you come to the father, it is food. Obviously, you are an irresponsible child. I don't know whether you are getting my point. The principle is not the problem. It is what you are doing with it. Solomon was given the opportunity. All right? But he had been primed. He had been trained. Even though he was a young boy, he understood that when you get such opportunities, you must learn to approve, the Bible says, the things that are excellent. You must know how to focus on the things that are more important in life. Do you understand my point? So even though they give you the liberty, liberty when it is given to adults, it's actually a lot of responsibility. You wish you were given rules. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Because when they give you liberty, you're suddenly held responsible for every decision you make. I hope you caught that. Daddy, listen, if you go to the father and ask for any nonsense, and the nonsense hurts you, it's your fault. Do you get my point? Even they say you can ask for anything. You have to train yourself to not to ask for things that will injure you. You have to train yourself not to ask for things that will remove your sleep. You have to train yourself not to ask for things that will make you useless to the person who gave you everything. I don't know whether you are following what I'm going to say. So when that opportunity was given to a man like um, uh, Solomon, he had been trained. So he did not ask for money. He did not ask for wealth. He did not ask for fame. He did not ask for the lies of his enemies. What did he do? He asked, we, we, we all know the story. I don't have to remind you of, of, uh, remind us of it again. He asked for wisdom. And what was the purpose of that wisdom? So that he would be able to execute the purpose of God for his life. And God gave him things he did not ask for. Now, that's how, that's what I mean by, you know, um, being responsible even when you are given an open ticket. So sometimes, so Jesus tells you, ask the Father for anything. You should know, read it from your scriptures. It's not time to go and ask for the lives of your enemies. Let all my enemies die. It is not time to start, you know, cutting out land in different parts of town for God to give to you. Maturity will tell you some things are not uh, how do I say? They are not. They are, they are vain. Even if God gives them to you, they are still vain. I don't know whether I get my point. No matter how many houses God gives to you, when Jesus Christ comes, it will all melt. He will not say, "I'm the one that." No, 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 no. Leave that one. Leave that one. Leave that one. I'm the one that gave it to Kemote. You know, he was preaching very well, so I blessed him with six duplex independence layout. So the whole earth will pass away, but Kemote's duplex here remain. <laughs> he will not do that. He will not do that. The fact that God is the one that gave you something is no guarantee the thing will bless you. It's no guarantee. If, that, if, you, went, if you have a mental structure all right, that lays hold of things that don't bless, and you claim you know how to claim things from God, and you claim them from him, 
He still will not bless you. The fact that he's the one that gave it to you doesn't mean anything. You say, how do I know? The Bible says that they lusted after meat. He gave them meat and sent leanness into their souls. Now, so I'm going to say is this. So, one problem we've had in Christianity, that's that's where I began that from, is when we have a wrong focus for our pursuit. I was saying that on Tuesday. The wrong focus for our pursuit. So, like I was saying, that when we're children, there were things that children, yes, you were, I don't want to use the word entice them with. That was all they could understand. And that's what excited children. I mean, I was on, yeah, I was in university, I was a young boy. I mean, what will excite a young boy more than the fact that he can claim a Mercedes Benz and God will give it to him? I don't know whether you're getting my point. If you are, if you are preaching um, self-denial and self-sacrifice in one fellowship, and, the other, and you are walking in righteousness, and the second fellowship is preaching, you can, claim to, you can tell the Lord that within two years of leaving school, you shall be earning this amount of money, and you are still preaching righteousness and faith. And two of you are serving God. Let's be honest. At my age, who should I listen to? No, think about it. It, it. I'm not trying to be spiritual. I mean, just be honest. Both people are serving God. This is not as if the pastor of the church is a womanizer. Because these days, it's likely to be. But, you know, those days, <laughs> those days, they were not. All the pastors we do on campus, no matter what, what worldly thing they preached, they were, they were holy people. You didn't, you didn't catch them with women. You couldn't. Their faith included not walking in iniquity. <laughs> but when we began to learn faith, they taught you. <laughs> and, and they will have testimonies how there was no money and they began to look. And in the name of Jesus, they began to declare and then declare that food should come. But then they woke up in the morning, there was one fat plate of food waiting that somebody who came, found they were sleeping, kept there. And I, I personally had such testimonies. You go to sleep, you wake up, you see a note at the foot of the bed, say, Banky, I'm going home, my money remains 20 naira, and the guy is graduating, so I said to leave it for you. We write it under the note and keeps it. It's not, it's not, it's not a good thing. I come go to fellowship and say, God gives even while you sleep. <laughs> now, the Lord is what he did those things for us. So what I want to say, as a young person, you understand, your, your focus, of course, because of age, those kind of things tickles you more. They tickle you more as a matter of fact. Now, there's a problem, however, when you begin to grow and you still stay there. As you are growing, you should start realizing that, look, money is good, but just for the using. You understand? You start realizing that if you went to sleep and somebody said, oh, Pastor, I, I found you were sleeping, so I left a GL. Mercedes Benz for you. I didn't want to wake you up. You know, so just, just, to, just to help your movement around. Amen. Is it a good thing? All right, if, you th- if you are not sure, you can pack one in my house and test, all right? <laughs> but you see, you, wake, you find it like that. Yeah, you get my point? You give thanks for it. It is not, it's not hyper-exciting. I don't know whether you're getting my point. It gets to a point in your life, it's not hyper-exciting. Yeah, it's a nice ride. It's good. We thank God for you. are so thoughtful of you. I know God will bless you. Pray for the person. But you know, something in you doesn't kick. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Do you know why? Because... The gift has not improved your ability to raise the dead. Those are the things that are worrying you. I don't know whether you are getting my point. You know, it has, it's okay, thank you very much. We can drive around easily. But when we lay hands on the sick, would they recover more than yesterday? 
please, I hope you're getting my point. Suddenly, certain things become more important to you. You know, talking to one of my colleagues the other day, we had a good laugh. And a bit of meditation to not just laughter. They were telling me how the husband was sick unto death. I was, I was saying, when, when did this happen? Where was that? He said, oh, God, now, so we see um, that the man was revealing to her everything that was available in like, okay, every password to every email account, bank account. The guy was writing it down and showing how to take care of the children if anything were to happen to him. Something was happening to him already anyway. So <laughs> he didn't know how far it would go. She now said to me, he said, after that, he said, since that time, if you see my husband there, nothing is important to him again. He recovered. God helped him. That now, nothing, do you get my point? If you say they are selling land in the layout, you can get it cheap. He doesn't want to buy. It doesn't move him. He's just saying like, okay, okay, so you are sending land in dependence layout and it's cheap. Uh-huh. So if I buy it and I die, what happens? That's how he reasons now. <laughs> you get my point? That is how he reasons. He's more like, okay, all right, you get me the land and then I buy it and then I fall sick and then I die. Am I going to carry it to heaven? I have been to the gates of death. And I have realized that this is you are pursuing, literally vanity. I have seen that life is empty. You know, I was talking to Pastor Corey, was it yesterday? <laughs> and he was saying that when I hear some things people are preaching, I wonder, are they alive in this generation? Are they alive in this generation? That you see gather, you know, sometimes it pains me, you see gather young boys and young girls, you gather them to church on Sunday, and you are giving, teaching them faith on how to change their shoes. You know, there are times you look at it, just wonder that this pastor, is your head correct? I'm not saying people shouldn't change their shoes, but let me tell you, all right? I have read stories, you understand? I have seen, look, the greatest revelations in my life, I had those days when I couldn't change my shoes. Now, two reasons I couldn't change my shoes. First reason was money. Second reason was I didn't remember. And I can prove to you that both reasons, the second reason really happened once. Even this, this pastor, Courage Janko, you know, I, I, I went to, I came to Benin. And one brother, was it brother or sister, looked at me and said, hey, Pastor Banky, this is your shoe. It's praising God, though. <laughs> Why? Because the thing was like Alibaba's, you know what I mean? Alibaba's 40 tips. The, the front was facing up. And I thought nothing wrong with my shoes. What's wrong with you people? So I looked at the shoes. Ah, this fine thing. <laughs> now, that was the season I told you. I used to listen, I listened to Bishop Oedipo alone for over 400 hours in one year. No, sorry, I meant eight months. Bishop alone. For, I think 500 hours, eight months. Think about it. Now, I'm not saying that's the only person I listened to. I said the one I, I counted him for you. So it was that season. In fact, what confused was that that same pair of shoes, and I wore it one day I was in Western Avenue in Lagos. I, you know, they were, it rained, so they were sweating some areas. So I put my foot down, and I felt the rain. That's when I picked the shoe up and look, I had a crack on that. <laughs> Do you know in anger, with, you understand? I went, I went to the market one day. I bought two pairs of Italian shoes just to show my brethren what's wrong with people. I can buy shoe. You know the funny thing about those shoes? Let me just, I, I remember and I laugh. One of them, very beautiful St. Michael's loafers. I traveled. I saw one brother. I saw the shoe was wearing. I looked at him and I said, come. Why are you wearing that shoe? 
So I removed the one on my feet, tested. Is it your size? He said, yes, you can take it. This one I just bought maybe like last week. I just said, is it your size? He said, well, okay, test this one. He wore it. I still remember my dark you know, Oxblood St. Michael's loafers. I can say, you can have it. Now, <laughs> where am I going with all of this? Now, it amazes me, do you understand? When you gather people and focus them on, change your shoes. I, I, I hope you're getting my point. Because a man, I, I was going to tell you something. The time I couldn't change my shoes, I didn't care, I didn't... I was floating in the revelation of God. I didn't have money, but I had so much revelation coming to me every day. Talking about shoes, I was okay, <laughs> teaching people how to get shoes, how to get shoes. And I, I, I would listen to Sadhu tell the story of his life. I don't know whether that's how God wants anybody to do it, but that's how he did it. But in this pursuit of the knowledge of God, you know the kind of thing this man did? There's a, you know, everybody has a heritage. So he has this heritage, which I believe has led him in that direction. He wanted to live a life dedicated to Christ and Christ alone. So it included him trekking barefoot, wearing only that his saffron robe, and going from one place to the other preaching the gospel. Now, when I say trekking, you think you are trekking if you are trekking Enugu. You don't know what they call trekking. He trekked in the snow. That's one place you should be place you don't trek. You'll be climbing the Himalayas, climbing the high mountains, going from one Tibetan village to another, preaching the gospel, barefoot, on ice, icy roads. He got into the place he was staying one night, and his feet were swollen. He couldn't feel them. He couldn't feel his feet. They were swollen, they were cracked, and they were bleeding. <laughs> That's how he laid down. And then he got up to pray. And the Lord Jesus appeared to him and took those bloody feet in his hands. Lay hands on them and healed them. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Why some people are there declaring crocodile skin in the name of Jesus? Some people... By not wearing feet, God Jesus to come physically and massage their feet. I don't know whether you are getting the direction I'm going. What I'm saying is that so there was a time we were children, and we learned things, you know, revelation, and uh, we're using it to pursue material things because we're children. Now, which revelation do we have? Think about it. That we are preaching these days that Paul really did not have. Which revelation did we have? Let me tell you something about those people so that you don't forget what they were. They are called apostles of the Lamb. They are eyewitnesses of his resurrection. Do you get my point? Paul, uh, my, all of them minus Paul now, all right? People like Peter, John. Then Paul was specially chosen. The messages he preached that you and, you and I read now, they were not taught to him by Peter or James and co. The Lord Jesus used to appear to him and teach him personally that on the night I was betrayed, that story of the Last Supper, Jesus told it to Paul directly. When he heard it from Peter, they were comparing notes. 
Peter didn't tell him anything. He learned next to nothing about Jesus from Peter and who. He had been preaching for 14 years before they sat down and said, wait, what? He wasn't there when they crucified Jesus Christ. His own revelation of the crucifixion of Jesus was from the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus used to appear to him to teach him what it meant to have nails pass through your hands. Why he had to be like that. This man will be caught up into the third heavens. What did he not see? Which power did he not command? Talk about the power of the ages to come. Angels will appear to him and tell him things. The same person wants to write a letter to people. And notice something. He did not focus on how to get things. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He did not. When he wants to write, he said, I pray for you that your love will increase more and more. That God will reveal himself to, himself to you more than before. That you will learn to approve the things that are excellent. He said, I pray that God will fill you with the spirit of the, you know, how did he say again? Ephesians chapter one, that, we, that, that prayer we pray all the time. That God will give you the spirit of revelation. Sorry, it just escaped me now. Let me just quickly get there. This is a prayer he prays, oh. That God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his, of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Now, please, get my point. I'm going to stop reading here. But what I'm going to emphasize to you is this. In the midst of everything, did you see what he was focusing on? He had the re- more revelation that we have now for catching and claiming. But when he want to pray for, you, for people, he said, I pray that you will have the revelation of God. I pray that you will know Jesus more and more. I pray that God will fill you with wisdom, give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of what? Of him. That's why Pastor Corey said, when I listen to pastors, priests, I wonder which generation they live in. In the midst of everything, you are still focusing people's eyes on this life. You know, pastors still go to church to teach how to invest for next year. And you are wondering that, do you know what, they, have, you, have you heard of COVID-22? <laughs> I hope you are getting my point. Can't you see all the projections people made for 20, 2020 is scattered? No, there are things God does. Please, let me explain something. He does them deliberately just to help his children. Take your eyes away from things that, don't, that are not eternal. Start thinking of things that are eternal, for goodness sake. Start thinking of things that are eternal. That your messages, your focus, they are too carnal. I'm amazed people still go to church to learn customer service. Sunday morning, Sunday service, five keys to make your customer happy. Why? Because we must take over the earth. Let me tell you something. Anyway, I'll, I'll get a moment. Can the church take over the earth? Yes, it's supposed to. But not political takeover, economic takeover. It is kingdom takeover. Let me tell you what I mean by kingdom takeover. 
in the kingdom of God, the takeover is by the taking over of individuals. You take them over, you into the kingdom of God. You cast down every imagination, everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It is not that you are not you, are, you have not taken. Now listen to me, child of God. You have not taken over because you are as rich as Dangote. I hope you are getting my point. Look, church takeover, Christian takeover. All right, it is the taking over of the souls of individual, making them subject to the knowledge of God. So strategizing for how the church will be politically relevant is nonsense. It's not, it's, it's not even a prayer point that I will join you in. I was saying something on radio once. It was election time. And one man said, he called him that he's talked like this, that make them rule over us. I asked him, who is them? Who are you? Obviously, me and you are not even the same category, just because you assume we are both southerners. So we are the enemies of northerners. Your head is not working. I am talking about the kingdom of God. You don't believe like I do. We are not on the same side. I was trying to explain that day. That what we need, you understand, we're talking about voting and all of that, just talking about how to pray for the country and when that you make statements by the kinds of votes that you cast. I hope you're getting my point. Just by the way, for example, you know, I was saying on Tuesday when we were teaching here that men love darkness. Uh, men love darkness. No matter, listen, that just by, this is just an aside. No matter, okay, it was yesterday. <laughs> that men love darkness. They do. Forget all the noise they make. Country more change, research the country is a lie. They love darkness. We're talking about what darkness is. People walking in darkness. Men love darkness. The average person on the street, they don't want the police system to work. They don't want the court system to work. They don't want things to work. They just like to complain. Otherwise, our road not as good as European roads. If you show them why, what it would take for their roads to be like European roads, they say, leave it like this. That is why they will vote for a man from their village, no matter how stupid he is. I told you once I was in university. Law Students Association. One guy, one my, my roommate came. He was complaining. How such a foolish guy who has no sense. He insulted this guy in the deepest way you can insult a man. What is somebody like that doing running for Law Students Association president? But I finished talking and talking. I don't know if there's any way I voted for him. <laughs> ah, I almost collapsed. I don't know that I get my point. You spend the last 10 minutes explaining to me how he's clueless, how he, he doesn't have any sense. And he has no plans that people like him are not worthy of running associations like Law, Law, Law Students Association. Is there any way I voted for him? Ah! I said, why? What? You voted for him? He said, you see, he's my brother. <laughs> this story I'm telling you was like 1990. I've not forgotten till today. Since that time, when people are making noise, I don't, I don't care. All the noise they are making, I don't listen to them. Because when you give them the lecture material, eh, they will never vote according to what they believe will bring progress. Whose turn is it to chop? Those people have chopped long enough, it's our turn. And they just said, said, is this the man that they say is from our village? They said, yes, he votes for him. A man without integrity. He knows the man. All the business this man has done in his life, they have collapsed. But it's from my place. In case you don't know, in case you are like that, I want you to know you love darkness. When he said men love darkness, that's the meaning. Progress requires sacrifice. 
There are times you just close your eyes and say, I know, I, know, I know it's not from my place, but at least you have more sense than these idiots from my place. <laughs> it's true. It is true. It's true. Now, now, it's not good to be saying too many things. Now, I've lost. What, what was I trying to say? When I now went into the idea of men loving darkness. Hmm? People, oh, okay, you know, you know my way now. I'll just go back and start preaching again. Eventually, we'll, we'll get to where we lost our way. The Lord is good. Now, our, it's unfortunate that what we, what we have done is to take, take our eyes away from the things that are eternal. Are you getting my point? Yes, taking our eyes away from things that are eternal. We claim we are using spiritual principles, but what we are still focusing on are material things. Okay for childhood, but we must grow. We must grow into the things that really, really, really matter in life. And that's what we're discussing. What is it that really matters? What is it that God wants to achieve through us in this life? I've learned something over time. Okay? Now, two things. Number one, God has a purpose. And his purpose, number two, is superior to mine. Let me say that again. God has a purpose. And his plan and purpose, they are superior to mine. When I say superior to mine, this is what I mean. Because when I say he has a purpose, I don't mean a purpose for the earth alone. I mean for me, for my life. And it is not the way I planned it. He has his own plan concerning me. Let me explain what I'm going to say here. You know, a man like Abraham, he lived his life, the portion of his life we know about, moving from one place to the other. He could have settled. In fact, he was settled. What I want to say, please follow me closely. Abraham could have settled. In fact, he was settled. Then one day God unsettled him and never allowed him to settle again. Why? In summary, it is fitting for the purpose of his will. When I say never allowed him to settle, yes, Abraham got, you will read the fact that he was rich and all of that, but don't ever forget, he was still a nomad. He was moving from one place to the other. Isaac took over from that and continued that lifestyle. Let me be honest with you, I don't like that lifestyle. I don't like it. Their lives went on and on like that. To the time, to the last person who lived like that, like that really was a Jacob. Do you understand? And then again, look at the way Jacob's life was. Jacob's life was not, I don't envy it at all. I don't. And again, just by the way, I don't believe what you saw in Jacob's life was God's perfect plan. In fact, Oswald Chambers said that the reason why Jacob's life was like that was because Jacob's life was like that. <laughs> and I didn't use those words. <laughs> I <laughs> what does Oswald Chambers say? He said the sufferings of Jacob were they necessary to bring out the destiny of God in his life? He said no. That the sufferings, the sufferings were not necessary for the destiny. He said, but the sufferings were necessary for that destiny to come out in the life of Jacob. I don't know whether you got it. That that suffering is not tied to the destiny. He said, but if that destiny will come out of Jacob, he had to go to the suffering. Why? So now back to what I was saying. Jacob's life was like that because Jacob's life was that way. That is, there was a way his life was that God needed to purify process 
to bring out the destiny of God in him, so he made him suffer the way he did. The reason is because God's looking forward to the eternal purification that he will have achieved in the life of Jacob. Let me continue our saying. So Jacob's life, it was not how he wanted it, it was how it fitted the purpose of God's will. He had his 12 sons, most of them crazy boys. I hope you know. Yeah, go and read their stories. <laughs> you don't want to have some of them as friends. Including that Jew that you make so much noise about. You wouldn't like him. But God knew what he was doing. Ultimately, from those people's lives, I don't want to spend too much time there now, but ultimately from their lives, Jesus Christ came. I hope you're getting my point. That's, the, that's what God was looking out for. That was, was, what, that was what he was trying to achieve, to bring out Jesus from those generations of people. Now, each individual amongst them, people like David, their lives were not the way they planned the lives to be. Each life was manifesting something along the purpose of God's will. I hope you're getting my point. David, David never, listen to this, it's a matter of fact. David never planned to be king, you know that. He couldn't have planned to be king anyway. There were no kings when he was a little boy. Saul was the first king that was appointed. The first day the idea of being a king came to David was when Samuel came to his father's house and anointed him king. How he became king was divinely orchestrated. I know what I'm going to say. Because the problem we have as Christians is that we have been taught to plan our lives. And if things are not going according to the way we plan them to go, we think something is wrong. And But one major reason things will not go the way we plan them to go is because we are trying to make them go against the purpose of his will. So we and God are actually struggling every day. I don't know whether you got that. That the plans we are making, you know, the Queen says something then. I was listening to him again yesterday or the day before. We have listened for the last few days anyway. I do that a lot. He said that if anybody tells him that God told him to do something and he knows he can do it, he says he doubts that God sent that fellow on any errand. That God doesn't usually send you to do things that you can do naturally. And he gave himself as an example. He said, I was an only child, never had a brother. Never had a sister. He said, particularly women were very mysterious to me. I don't know what they, how they behave, how they think. He never, he didn't live with women. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He didn't, he and women, they didn't um, really go along well. He didn't understand them. He was an only child. He said, but when God called him as a young man, I think that he was in his, in his 30s, one of the first things, that he, like if you listen to him, he talked about being discipled in the desert. He got born again as a soldier. He was not really followed up the typical follow-up um, way. He was filled with the spirit and spoke in other tongues. Nobody had ever told him about it. It was just a personal encounter with the Lord. So I studied his Bible, and the Lord used to teach him, the scriptures used to talk to him a lot, and he learned a lot of things. So very early in life, he, was, he learned how to be led by the, the, the Spirit of God. And one of the first things, now this, this, was, this was what I was trying to explain, Talking about the fact that he was in literature, he didn't understand women. One of the things he had to do early in his life 
that the Lord instructed him to do was to get married. To whom? A woman they used to go to help. You know, the woman had an, a small, an orphanage, had eight, listen to this, eight adopted girls. So she was a mother to eight daughters when the Lord instructed this man to marry her. So one day he got married to a woman that was 25 years older than him who had eight girls and he moved into the house that was the only man amongst nine women. Did you get that? The oldest girl in the house was just a few years, was just a little, well, she was younger than him anyway, but she was, maybe the age gap between him and her is narrower than between him and his wife. And he's, listen to me, he stood up and he was a father in the house. Everybody listens to him. He married a very stubborn woman. But he learned to be a man. Are you hoping in my point? He said there was a time he made a decision that every single woman in the house, and you know that's everybody. <laughs> disagreed with. But he put his foot down. Now, why I'm telling the story is that the man said, listen, if it is what he could do naturally, that was the last thing he could do naturally. He had never lived with people. Then one day God thrust him in there. He was living with eight women. Uh, sorry, nine. His wife and eight girls. And he had to be a father to all of them. A husband to the, the senior woman. Now listen to me. If you read it, I, I, I like to read his, his, the, the interview of his life because you see a man who, when you talk about planning life, he couldn't plan his life. You know, there's a way God took him. He took him from an established setting where he was a university lecturer when, they, when world, the world, Second World War broke out. So he went into the military. He gave his life to Christ. From there, he couldn't make any plans for his own life anymore. He was living in Jerusalem. That's when he got married to this woman. They had to escape at night when war broke out. Eventually, they got to England, where he was a citizen, of course. There was no home for him. So he had to, they had to arrange the children in different places, stay with relatives and all of that. Then he sat and decided to start ministry, started preaching the gospel. He would go to the streets, started preaching on the streets. Then their house, they had a kind of small church. He and his wife would be preaching. People would be coming. They would be ministering to the sick. People would be getting filled with the spirit. Now, Cambridge, where he was working, asked him to come back. He said, but he knew that he couldn't go back. He had to close that door. And I said, at the age of, was he 40? He said that time. Was he 40 or 40-something? He said, I had no money, no house, no savings. And listen to this. This is the part of it I like most. No plans. Now, by the time he, you are hearing this story, all right, but I was hearing it, his messages were being broadcast in maybe 40 different languages, covering almost all the globe on a daily basis. His messages were being, you know, broadcast in about five Chinese dialects all over the world. Do you get my point? Billions had heard his voice. There's a particular village, a particular town somewhere in Denmark or so, that many children had named Derek. He's Derek Prince. They named a lot of boys there Derek. They had never met Derek Prince. 
Once in Jerusalem, he was being interviewed shortly before he died by Stephen Mansfield in a restaurant. And they saw a group of people coming. They kneeled down and began, they began to worship God. They were there worshiping God and giving thanks. So they looked, what is going on? So this one finally managed to cross over to come and tell them what happened. That they, went, they, they, they came on tourism, you know, pilgrimage. And the prayer points that, Lord, when we get to Jerusalem, help us to meet direct prince. I don't know that you're getting my point. So they entered that restaurant to eat. Nothing was there. And somebody spotted the direct prince at the other end where he and Stephen Mansfield were eating and he was being interviewed. What I'm going to say, to meet him became a prayer point. And some of those that came to greet him were named Derek. And they had never been to their country. Now I'm trying to explain something here. Now the man blesses me till today. Never met him. I think if I have to mention two ministers I listen the most to their teachings, he's amongst the top two. You know, the soft-spoken person just keeps teaching the scriptures, just keeps teaching. And there's no day I listen to him, I won't catch something. A man who had no plans. As doors would just open, he would just step into them. A door opened for him to go to um, Kenya to go and be a, a, a principal of a teacher training college. He went. That was where he adopted his African daughter. But then they were living. He had a daughter he picked from there. <laughs> from there, I think from there he went to Canada. And then somebody asked him, that, if you come to the U.S., please, you know, anytime, just come over, stay, help me out in church for some time. And um, he moved from Canada, yes, to the U.S., just to go and relieve his friend for a few months. And that's how he ended up not leaving for years. Why? Because the doors just opened. He said because he was a systematic teacher who believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because generally Americans are two groups of people. Whether the shouting preacher who's Lord has Those are the ones that had the power of the Holy Spirit with them. Or you had a very calm one that could teach but didn't believe in the power of the Spirit. The reference was a nice crossover. He, he, he didn't know how to raise his voice. He couldn't. He doesn't even say, listen. No, does he say, may I suggest to you that what the Bible was trying to say, Oga, why are you suggesting? Tell us now. <laughs> English gentleman to the core. Yet, in the midst of his English gentlemanliness, if you misbehave, he will cast out demons out of him in public. In fact, he carried his demonology to an extreme, eh, that me, I don't go, I don't go. He was, he cast out demons, he laid hands on the sick, he did all kinds of things, very calmly. If he thinks you have a demon, he will tell you, I think you have a demon, I think you need a demon cast out of you. Can you step over here to take us a few minutes? <laughs> Americans were so intrigued. Doors opened for him, he was ministering from one conference to another from one conference to another, a man who at the age of 40 had no plans, had no house, had no money, had no bank account. You know, like, I want you to that time to say something. That one major problem we have is too many plans. And we think we know how to plan. And when the plans are not working out the way we think they should work out, suddenly we think that there is something wrong with, with us. Yes, there's something wrong. What is wrong is we have too many plans. What is God's plan? I was saying earlier, you know, I was saying that some things I've learned. 
One is that, that God has a plan, and two, that his plan is actually better than mine. It may not be better in the eyes of people, but most certainly it is better. Because he doesn't look at the span of life that we look at, 80 years, 100 years. I want to judge whether somebody is successful or not. The success of somebody's life may not show for the next 200 years. I don't know whether you're getting my point. It might not. And God looks at that whole span. Basically, he doesn't just look. He planned it. So it takes Abraham, and the success of the life of Abraham, you can't judge it for the next thousands of years. What he achieved with the man Jacob, difficult to judge for the next few thousands of years. So what's God saying? Now, this is where I'm going. What are we supposed to do, therefore? When we learn our principles of faith, that's what I've been, I'm trying to teach. And that's why we, learned, we read that portion from that uh, Philippians chapter 3, the one we started with. That Paul was explaining to us, what am I pursuing after? He said that I may know him. I want to explain something there. And then we read from that Galatians chapter 1, where he said that when he, when he pleased God to reveal his son in me. This is where I'm going. You see, God's plan, listen to this, is to reveal himself through each one of us. Let me say that again. His plan, now, now, listen. His plan is not to fulfill our dreams and desires and ideas. His plan is to what? Reveal himself through each one of us. Let me put it like this. You see, when God reveals himself through David, now let us just assume for a moment that David did everything right. He did not. In fact, the Bible says that, yeah, well, okay, yes, when it comes to the plan of God, he did everything right, apart from the case of um, Raya the Hittite, yes. Now, so if God appears and reveals himself, this is what happens. Let me just explain what happens. A man like David will be born, and then one day the Holy Spirit will call his attention and focus it on the Lord. I hope you're getting my point. Now, as a result of that, the portion, now listen to this, the portion of God that wants to reveal through David enters into David. I hope you're getting my point. That's what Paul meant when he said to reveal him, his son in me. A portion of God that God wants to reveal on the earth enters David. And as long as David is focused on the Lord and working with God, what he will just start noticing is that the zeal for the house of God will consume him. Every inch of land that God promised to his people, he would determine to take. So he would take his sword, you understand? Guard his sword upon his thigh like a mighty one. And he will constantly ride on prosperously and in majesty. Do you get my point? So you will find out that every enemy that occupies the promised land that God promised to his people will fall before David. You will find out that every giant will get on his nerves and they will fall. You will find out that any man that walks with David will be a giant killer. Why? Because God is revealing himself in David. I don't know whether I get my point. So when you hear them say Jehovah, the man of war, He's revealed in David, not in Solomon. 
There's a portion, there's a warring portion of God. That is the one David swallowed. So David was a man of the sword. It was God. See, let me tell you something about God. He's not the nice person they paint him to be. He's a good God. He's a righteous God. But standing on his path, he will slice you in two. That's how he behaves. So that portion of God entered into David. He was an avenger for God. Anybody talk nonsense, David hacked him down. Now, go and read David's story. You read the whole Bible. He's one of the most beloved in scriptures. If you count ten men that the Bible holds in his high esteem, you count people like Abraham, Moses, Samuel, then you count David, Daniel. There are not many. Listen, that the Bible speaks, talk about the sure mercies of David, that the Messiah is called the son of David. And David loved the Lord, though. Let's not joke about it. He did. He had his flaws. He had his mistakes. In his generation, he had a lot of things that were wrong that God looked over. But listen to me, he loves the Lord. And you know he was a prophet. He was a prophet. He used to have visions of heaven. But the, what I'm going to bring out is that the portion of God that entered into David, <laughs> it was a warrior king portion. So the man fought battles for the Lord. He subdued all, listen, every inch of land that God promised, what they call promised land, David collected. Then when he was done with collecting, the kingdoms around were subdued under him. So even though you owned your land, because God said he can't take the land of the Edomites, the Edomites paid him tribute. You know, recently I was reading my Bible and thinking about it. I don't think the proper history of Israel under David is known by most people. We judge them by the Israel we know today. Or most of the dilapidated, broken down pieces of countries they call Judah and Israel, Samaria, you know, those kind of ones that, uh, that somebody will gang up. Who, where did you hear that some people ganged up against David? They smoke? That the Ammonites, uh, they, 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 something, something entered their head. David subdued all, all of them. In fact, there are times he doesn't go to battle. Joab, Ammonites are, they look like they are high. Now I say, sir, yes, I think they are high. You are Nabishai, go. The men that worked with David, they were anointed to fight the battle of the Lord, even the mad ones. You know, Joab was not a normal man. Joab was not normal. He was anointed. He would take a Take a city. He looks. Before he, before he finally calls out the head of the king, he says, go and call David. David, come and do this. Let's they name this city after me. You know what you were saying? The revelation of the warrior king part of God manifested on the earth. That's what you saw in David. But it was a wisdom part of God that he also wanted men to see. So God revealed himself to Solomon in that area. And when Solomon asked the right question, made the right request, listen to this again. A portion, listen to me. It was God, a portion of him that entered into Solomon and became wisdom. And you must understand, wisdom is the name. Go and read Solomon Proverbs. Wisdom speaks. That portion of God called wisdom entered into the Solomon. 
And not a fraction of what Solomon knew could be written down. You see, I, I've maintained about it. Solomon was wise. You know what they call wise? He was a master of economics. He knew economics more than Joseph. What other people will need to see as visions, Solomon will see it as deductions. He will look at the clouds. He will look at the moon. One week later, look at the cloud, look at the moon. God gave him so much wisdom, he could mentally track the movement of the clouds and the move and tell you what the weather will be like in two years' time. He knew agriculture. He knew geography. He knew astronomy. Oh, God, Solomon Nobuko. Anything he set his heart to contemplate, he understood. That's how serious Solomon was. You know what Solomon was? It was a revelation of God in wisdom, with wisdom. Solomon didn't have to fight any battle. One of the reasons why he didn't have to fight any battle is that he had too much economic sense. He could, he could starve your nation without carrying a weapon. I hope you know he was a trader. He was a businessman. Intense one. The whole nation prospered severely under Solomon. Severe prosperity, I'm telling you. And he was white. You know, conspiracy. <laughs> Solomon could read conspiracy. You greet him, good morning, sir. And the man would see that, that greeting is not sincere. You didn't notice the way he said good morning. He says that the way Joab says it. He's coming from, he's come from Joab's house. And he's not being suspicious of and when they go and find out exactly, you've been to Joab's house, then his mother will now come in. Let your father's wife, Abishag, is that her name? Be given to your brother, Adonijah. That's all he's asking for. Solomon said, Should I just get up from the throne? Let him come and sit on it. Why are we go- Ah, the mother said they just asked for a wife. <laughs> Little boy, but he could see what they could not see. He saw how they had conspired. Joab, man of war, behind all of them. How they were planning to you know, take the kingdom away from him. He said, go and bring me Joab. Joab got the point. He ran to the temple. He told him, kill him there. His, his own chief of army killed Joab. The Joab come out. Or Gassimu, you come out. He said, Liar, I hold on to the, legs, to the horns of the altar. He said, kill him there. So they said, hey, don't use that altar to harass me. Kill him there. He ended Every co- just you you are just talking. Solomon can hear the conspiracy in your heart. It wasn't him. It was a manifestation of God in Solomon. I hope you get my point. Of course, let's talk about Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became what flesh. And dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten Son of God. When Jesus was on the earth, again, let me say something to you. The way he lived was, is this He set aside his glory. So everything you see, when Jesus came, he showed you, he too exposed himself to the revelation of God. I hope you're getting my point. And God entered into him. He entered into him. 
in wisdom, in instructions. When he will sit down and he will teach, then they will marvel. He's not teaching like one of the scribes of the Pharisees. He's teaching as one having what? Authority. God was in him. I hope you're getting my point. Then God entered into him with the fullness of his mercy. And he went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was what? With him. So God manifested in flesh in Christ Jesus. What did he do? He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He taught people righteousness. He walked around for just a few years. At the end of, this, at the end of everything, he gave himself up for the ransom of many. That's God manifesting the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see where I'm going all of this in my talk. None of these people planned these things. Solomon didn't plan to be wise. David did not plan to be a warrior or to be a king. What happened was that when he got to know him and God revealed himself in him, he became a king, a warrior king that took every land that God promised his people. I hope you're getting my point. When God revealed himself in Christ Jesus, you hear him say things, I do nothing of myself. What I see my father do, that is what I am doing. That is, Jesus was a manifestation of God the Father on the earth. I like the way he said in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. He said in verse 3, that he is the radiance of his glory, and the exact representation of his nature. That's what I want. That he is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of his nature. What was Jesus Christ everywhere he went? It was the exact representation of God the Father for us to see. Everything he did, they were not his plans. A time came, the plan of the father said, go to the cross. And the cross was not nice. He had built a big business. He had built a great ministry. And the father said, the next phase of life is that you will lose everything you have built. And then you will go and start again from square one. I hope you know, very few, just for your information, few of us agreed to take that transition. Very few, very, very few. But a point, a point in time came, that was what was required of the Lord Jesus. And of course, we know the story. It, it, it doesn't mean it was easy. So he went to the garden, and he prayed until angels came and strengthened him, and then he was able to face the cross. The point I'm going to make is this, that these were not his plans, because he said, Father, if it was possible, let this cup pass over me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Each of these people I've mentioned, they were manifesting God the Father in the flesh. And that is the plan of God for each one of us. That's where I'm going. That is the plan of God for each one of us. That's how they told the story of the Red Prince. He didn't plan what happened to his life. You can't plan what will happen to your life. All that God requires of you is one thing. 
get to know me. I hope you're getting my point. As you are getting to know me, listen to this, I am possessing you till I am able to reveal myself through you. Did you hear what I said? He said, what should be the focus of your life? You know, people think that if you okay, get to know God, what does he imply? I'll become another Sadhu Salvaraj. Trekking. <laughs> Nevertheless, not my will. I know they do that one. That's what they're thinking. That is, that part I'm not following. They think that when you are saying, listen to me, let me tell you the truth. This is how it works. When Mary got the revelation of God, when angel met her, you know what it produced in her? The ability to conceive without knowing any man. I, I don't know whether you are following my point here. The revelation of God to Mary, when God revealed himself in her, what happened was that she suddenly became pregnant and gave birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, the same thing. He had his plans. He had been to school. He had his degrees. He knew the people. And then, of course, he was doing his thing, pursuing. He said, look, his plan was that we will end this new sect. The, the one criminal was killed on the cross. And his disciples would not let us rest. They said he rose again from the dead. This nonsense must stop. That was his life ambition. Why? Because, you see, he had built, he had become a part of a structure that required the temple standing and the structure of Judaism remaining in existence. These boys want to spoil it. I don't know whether you're getting my point. They want to spoil it. So, no, the man said, no, I won't agree. So, his own agenda, his personal agenda, was to end them. And then on that road to Damascus, Jesus revealed himself to Paul. I hope you're getting my point. Now, this is a summary of it. After Paul focused on the revelation of Jesus and he got to know God, you know what happened? He began to build the very things he had planned to destroy. He didn't intend to build. I don't know whether I get my point. It was not a new agenda he created for his life now. But when Jesus met him, when the revelation of Jesus hit him, when the Father began to reveal himself in Paul, Paul couldn't help but preach. I hope you're getting my point. He w- Listen. He was not trying to be a good missionary. He was not trying to be a good man. He, now, I want to say something that's very fun. He wasn't trying to obey God. God had possessed him. You try to obey when you have your own sense inside your head. He had been possessed. You know that story I was telling you the other day? That my wife and I watched on TV. That man that um, he was, con- he was virtually in life imprisonment as a young boy because of his criminality and all of that. And when Jesus revealed himself to him in a movie which was projected by an angel on his wall, a real movie of what happened during the crucifixion. Not a movie now, a recording, let me put it like that. Jesus just showed it. But he watched Jesus Christ die. And Jesus said to him, I did it for you. That was, nobody had ever told him about Jesus before that time. It was after that he took a Bible and began to read and found a story inside there. He gave his life to Christ. Now, for the long time, he had been in solitary confinement because it was very dangerous. But after I when they saw the guy had become calm, they let him out. And the first instruction he was given, he was told by somebody. He doesn't know who's talking to him. But the Spirit of God will come to him. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I said, okay, you go out tomorrow and you tell your gang members 
that you are not doing gang, <laughs> you, are, you, are, you are done with the gang life. That you are giving your life to Christ Jesus, and this is how you are going to go. He said he knew the consequences. That was a death sentence. So next day, he went out into the yard, gathered all the gang guys, and told them, look, this is the way it is. He's now, he now belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he went back to his cell, knowing fully well what was going to happen. And of course, I don't know whether the next day, a few days later, a guy had been detailed to smuggle himself into his cell and kill him. So he sat on his bed, on his bed was waiting. He knew to, listen, that's the way they rose. I hope, I hope you get my point. He'd been in this thing for all, all his life. So the guy came in. Of course, he was sitting down when he saw the guy coming. So he knew why the guy had come. The guy had a knife. He was supposed to kill this fellow. And then <laughs> the guy looked at him and said, that thing you said, do you really believe it? He said, yes, most certainly. Most certainly. So if it is true, then I want you to. He laid down his knife and knelt down. He knelt, that was the first person he led to Christ. The assassin sent to him. Now, that's not why I'm telling the story. So the person intervened. He said, where did you get the boldness to go and say the thing that you said? He said, boldness? I wasn't bold. I was just doing what I was told to do. <laughs> that, now, listen to me. There was no option. It didn't cross his mind that he could refuse the person who sent him out there to go and make the announcement. My life, I'm adding my own words now, my life was no longer mine. I did everything I was told. Let me put my own words now. I had been possessed by a spirit that he did not understand. The day he faced parole, the parole board, he said people like him are supposed to face parole board maybe like once in five years, once in seven years, once in ten years. The day they called him to come and face the parole board. He said, do you think he should be released? He said, no, I don't think so. I think the judge was lenient for sentencing me to maybe, I think, 35 years in prison. And when I check the kind of crimes and the life I've lived, I think the system has been too lenient on me. No, I don't think I should be released. <laughs> it wasn't plain. He meant it. To his surprise, they released him from jail. And he was still young. His life now started all over again. Now, I don't, his story, I like, it's, very, it's a beautiful story. I love the story, but I don't want to talk say much more than that about it. What I'm bringing out from there is that they asked him, where did you get the boldness from? He said, boldness? I didn't have anything called boldness. I just met the Lord, and I did everything that he said. I'm talking about Paul again. When Paul got to know the Lord, and the Lord took him over, that's what he called grace. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. That is, you know, it's not me that's walking. There's a grace. Let Let me put it this way. I have been possessed by God. So when you see me stand in the midst of a congregation and begin to declare about the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not thinking. I've been possessed. When I say to you, none of these things move me. Neither do I count my life as, as dear unto myself. I'm not thinking. You must understand this. I have been what? Possessed. What possesses you? What possesses me? What possesses those men? I'll tell you. It is what we are talking about. The revelation of God. The more of God you know, the more you are possessed, so that he can, now listen to me, so he can now do what he planned as a revelation of himself on the earth. He doesn't necessarily have to be a preacher. We just assume that everybody that's been possessed by God will become a preacher. 
Some that have been possessed by God become governors. Some possessed by God become primary school teachers. Some in their possession by that knowledge of God, they become policemen. Now many of us think that the path of God that entered into David doesn't come on the earth again. No. A time will come because it's what is called oppression of the devil. After praying and repenting and everything, God says, okay, Boko Haram has to end. Banditry must end. The one Christian soldier somewhere is reading his Bible. Then the Holy Spirit possesses him. That spirit of David possesses him. And as David wiped out all the enemies of God, so will he wipe out every bandit, everyone that will lay anybody on the road or in the bush? And he said, why this man, you are very bold. He said, no. One day I was reading my scriptures. And I realized that the Lord is a man of war. And my pastor used to say, God is a man of peace. I couldn't understand again. I said, <laughs> there's something about the scriptures here. Now the one we concern, where you see first. The one that concerns you, eh? the way you will see it. Others will be wondering, how did you get there? Ah, you say, Pastor, but he said, the Lord is a man of war. He said, guide your sword upon thy thigh. Guide thy machine gun upon thy right arm, O most mighty. And right, ah, he said, Pastor, God knows they shoot people. He they shoot people. You'll be preaching merciful God in church. When the guy goes for patrol, he's, what he's hearing is, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, <laughs> the anger of God. He re- that is literally, literally, literally to happen. One day he will have a gun in his hand with only 10 rounds left. And a hundred men armed will surround him. And then he will remember the story of Samson. And he will tackle single-handedly with only 10 rounds, a hundred men with with 33 rounds each. And by the time he's done, 100, 100 men will lie down around him. But that, that's when his eyes will wake up and realize he has smashed all their heads with the butt of his gun. And none has been able to fire a gun, a bullet accurately in his direction. There are testimonies he can't share in church. Just any testimony, the Lord is a deliverer. Amen. That's all he can tell you. He won't say, brethren, I... By the Spirit of God, took a rock and cracked the skulls of a hundred men, and they lay dead. How, if he says that, will you marry him? <laughs> you say, check him. No. You'll be thinking of your skull. <laughs> I pray we understand. You know, like I pray, preach all the time. There's a reason why it's called the God of Abraham, it's called the God of Isaac, and it's called the God of Jacob. That is. There may be billions and billions of us. There is a unique part of him that he wants to transmit onto the earth through each person. But you know what? We are focused on the people that have gone out in the world and in quote succeeded. They have been our focus. The Lord, knowing the Lord has not been our focus. For that reason, it has been difficult for him to manifest himself the way he wants to manifest in each one of us. So when we say ask God for anything, as we grow, as we become more mature, we realize that hey, we can't ask for too many things. So let's ask for the things that matter. You start making requests like God, everything that obstructs 
my view of you remove. Instead of saying, Lord, this week, bring businesses my way. Say, Lord, any business that will not let me see you clearly, please shut it down. See, your prayer point starts changing. Why? Because you are realizing that, listen, we're not on this earth to succeed the way people could describe success. We are on this earth to manifest the part of God that he wants to manifest through us. I know the truth. You will not know it until he starts manifesting it. And how do you get him to be able to manifest it? It is simple. It is through this focus on getting to know him. Like I said on Tuesday, what is the quest of your heart? That's it. What is the quest? Where I began from is that the mistake we've made in the church, we have thought the quest was to have the knowledge of principles. There are certain principles and keys we used to get results. No. No. If you go and check it, Paul, Peter, James, John, when they want to pray for the people, it's so that they may know Christ. He will say that which was from the beginning, which we heard with our ears, which we beheld with our eyes, which our hands handled, concerning the word of life, that's what we are delivering to you. That is, it is what we have come to know. It is as we have, be, as we have become acquainted with the revelation of God, that's why we're able to declare things to you. So those, that's why you don't see them praying about mundane things. Things that have become a prayer point. This night, every witch that says you will not succeed. And Jesus is looking like, guys, just look in this direction. If you see me, you witch cannot even know where you are moving. Every, every power that stirred up against your destiny. Which power can be stirred against your destiny? The only power that can be stirred up effectively against your destiny is anything that can obscure your vision of God. Anything that can prevent you from having the revelation of God in your own heart. That is the only thing that can be stirred up effectively against your destiny. So that when you have to pray, say, Lord, anything that will obscure my view of you, shut it down out of my life. The time I finish praying that prayer, God will just say, relationships, I'm cutting this guy off in your life. Ah, but, sir, he's been a very... It's off. His presence in your life is not letting you see God clearly. Do you know that? Let's bow our heads. Let's begin to pray. We began this prayer on Tuesday. I want us to continue it. What's the quest of my heart? I want to know you. That's it. That's it. I want to know you. People have gone to come to know God. Like I said the other day, faith. Or knowledge is a currency of the spirit. It's, it's, it's a currency of the spirit. It's why it gives you the ability to get work done. Because once you get to know God, he possesses you. That's the way it goes. He reveals himself in you. He revealed himself in Christ Jesus. He revealed himself in David as a warrior king. He revealed himself as, soul, as a wisdom. In the life of Solomon. There's a way he wants to reveal himself in your life. But he said, get to know me, and I will flow through you. I was still praying, and the prayer is simple, Lord, I want to know you. So that's what we're praying, and let's continue praying. Let's continue to pray that the Lord will help us. Let that just be the desire of our hearts, nothing. The Lord will work out the process. If that is the desire of our hearts, Let's leave the process for God to walk. So let's pray 
and say, Lord, I want to know you. So let's pray. Pray. Pray for yourself. Say, Lord, my desire is to know you.